arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Robin of Luxley, your highness. In the gallant days when history hung on the flight of an arrow or the slash of a sword, when feudal barons ravaged the countryside to live in pomp and splendor, when one man alone dared challenge the might of his country's oppressors, Robin Hood. atmosphere in the adventures of Robin Hood starring Errol Flynn is very close to what I was thinking about the Mead and the Tolton. Loftus is in the Mead to claim an inheritance of sort and to bring the other half of the Cruxel back to the Abishar. Both men have received half of the Bunchoff in their youth. Although many years have passed between Kath and Loftus, he's still upset about what happened with the Tolton Dachau. But like the Sheriff of Nottingham's men with crossbows, Loftus and John must get beyond the Tolton's men. All the while, the bloodthirsty Sard is ready for battle to decimate the planet. Episode 3 of Sojourn, The Seraph Khan by Robert P. Fitton is playing now. Chapter 81 The Nikitim's blinking lights blurred. Sard stopped scanning and in the darkness of his thoughts realized he was no longer on the Pizikar. As he peered again, the front panels came into focus and he tried to sit up. His side wrenched in pain as he fell back on a soft cushion. From behind he heard movement and then a voice. Excellent, Awas, your thoughts are present. His voice was dry and strained. Tark. Tark's head and scanning matrixes came into view. He wore an odd blue uniform and yellow gloves over his appendages. You have finally awakened. I have had my doubts. Where am I? A silo on Mantari Earth. Fate had a hand in your rescue, Alice. We traced your contact beam and your forward sweeps were sedentary. It was fortuitous that you were close to Earth or you would now be dead. Your Pizikar would have broken up within a roar. We reached the Pizikar and stabilized it. By all rights, Awas, you should not even be alive. His matrixes dimmed when he finally sat up. You are to be commended for what you have done on this Urkum. Sard has heard your contacts. It has taken me many rifts, but I control this Urkum. You are in one of the silos at Bathurst Island. You have done it all alone. With human help, said Tark. The efforts of inferiors? They have done a usefulness, Awas, and I have personally groomed them. Have you forgotten what these inferiors did to the home Arkham? You have lived with them so long, you are beginning to think of them as equals. The human portion of the Mantari do not know the Tabanshah and have done nothing to the realm. They are inferiors, and inferiors desecrated the home Arkham. Sard refused to scan his matrixes and lay back. He hated inferiors no matter where they resided. 
Sar does not discount your superior abilities, nor does he protest your saving his life. But Sar would have killed them all, and then entered their great ocean passageway. I am convinced that we can move an amperage through that passageway. You need to contact the upper echelon. Sard no longer needs the upper echelon. Sard has taken the realm. He is now the Vargat Emnus. Vargat Emnus? The upper echelon no longer wish to pursue Tabun Shah. Sard has a massive amperage headed toward Mantari Earth. Your message spoke of traveling the passageway with the amperage. Sard is here to help you prepare for the amperage's arrival. Crossing the passageway will require eliminating the Greaves. The creatures created by the Mantari. But where are the Tob and Shah? I do not know, said Tark. We need to search the remaining Urkham, or whatever else we may find on the passageway. Sard will find them, he said, pulling himself up. His matrix is dimmed. And are you well enough to be standing, Awas? Great work needs to be done. You will show Sard the progress on Mantari Earth. Sard will immediately promote you to Vargat Gaman. Tark fell in homage. Your greatness has been fulfilled, Awas. I submit myself to the Vargat Emnus of the realm. Tark's genius produced the construction of white cylindrical reality chambers across the plain. As they walked on the observation pathways above, Sard was reminded of the Creod hatching shells in the home Urkham swamps. He requested not to be in contact or even scan any of the inferiors. As much as he wished to destroy the Urkham, he sensed a certain satisfaction. Tark controlled every aspect of their lives. Free choices, free will, meant nothing to them within their self-contained worlds. I hold power over all aspects of their lives. Perhaps there is a satisfaction in that, said Sard. Sard hates inferiors, but you have shown they can be useful, Awes. Tark escorted him into a blue-lighted Thassian. They descended deep into the Urkham. After some time, the Thassian opened and Sard emerged on the top of a stairway extending to the edges of the green-hued Mantari passageway. Tark pointed forward. Here is the passageway of Tabunchar. By your discoveries, Awas, you have begun the invasion. I used one of the old Mantari Azakars at an altered Piqua flow, through an upper sail to a denser Piqua below. This passageway is a warp space in dimension, the Frucian. This is how they travel between their Urkums. I have modified my sails and added components to the lower rudders for additional speed. A useful way for the Tobin Shah to travel unhindered and unseen. Sard will destroy all their efforts. This passageway can be useful to the realm. My main consideration is a corridor from the surface of this Urkham onto this passageway. Sard stared across the Piqua to the horizon under the pale sky. Sard finds this remarkable. What about the other end? How does Sard bring his amperage onto the last Mantaria Urkham? Tark alternated glances between the passageway and Sard. By bending the Frucian, I think this is related to the Pequa readings after Galga. Part of their knowledge, they hide within a distant Frucian. Sard will find them. 
At the other end, the Greaves are able to prepare a consciousness configuration, allowing the use of the Mantari language and customs before they tunnel through the Urkum. You will alter these tunnels, Tark. Expand them and allow the Airbridge onto the Mantari Urkum. Sard's goal is no longer the mere eradication of inferiors. Sard must find the Tabernshar. He walked down the slope and neared the smooth peak where, restrained by the hard surface, as he scanned the number of Azakars along the shore, he thought of the human who led the insurrection against Tark. Where is this Mantari Proaska, the one who rebelled against you? He is gone. I am assuming he went to the last Mantari Urkum. He was here long ago and fled with the others. They are irrelevant. Sard nodded and placed his grasper on his Awas's shoulder. Sard has higher goals. Rid the Humea of the Tabunshar and all Mantari, and then we will expand as the only race throughout the Humea. A tinted helmet shielded Sard's matrixes from the bright blue earth sky above the surface dome. Tark was able to work unshielded at the Nakitum scanning deep space. I admire your restraint, Awas. You have worked with me for eighteen roars, yet you have not killed any of the humans. Sard must be diverted with his advancing age. Perhaps it is something else, said Tark, checking the frequency contacts. Sard turned from the outside. You are on the verge of bringing your amperage onto the Mantari passageway. After we cross and successfully pierce the Frucian, we will take that Urkum and find the Tabunshah. Maybe outright killing becomes meaningless. Sard sat in the rester next to Tark. Sard respects you, Awas, and all your efforts here on Mantari Earth. Sard will not undo what you have done. This Urkum is strategically dead. You speak the truth. The end is near for all inferiors. And Sard will find the Tabunshar and the last Urkum. The greatest of all battles predicted in the Mantari Saba is about to begin. The final fight against the Suri of Khan will be horrific. Sard is ready. Ready to seek revenge for what they did on the home Urko. Did Amperage Bubbles seem plausible to you? Sard was more impressed about your ability to influence the thoughts of the Greaves. Although they are impervious to shooters, I will enhance their reality with devices I have used here for centuries. They will be the victims of their own perceptions and march into the passageway Pequa. They will disappear into infinity. A deserved fate for all those who have challenged the realm. I have traces of the Emperor on my tactical fuel trails. This is Tark at Bathurst Island on Mantari Earth. Respond! The green center Nikitim glowed yellow in blotches where the ships had crossed the Humea. This is Tark! Sard sees the trails. More will follow. The amperage will fill the skies. Sard wishes to know when they will encounter this system. Five or six roars. We have to confirm speed and headings. Sard leaned forward. Elkin, this is Sard. Do you hear me? The contact clicked and the sound filled the dome clearly. Yes, Bargain Emnus. We do hear you and we heard your hours. We are pleased you are both alive. Elkin, how long until you arrive on Mantari Earth? Three roars, Bargain Emnus. Excellent. Sard has waited with his hours to prepare the way for the airbridge across the Mantari passageway and tunnel the Frucian to the last Urkum. We 
are ready to serve you. Sard walked toward the edge of the dome and looked up to with a smaller Urkham sliver in the sky. He thought of the humans in the silos below and the vicious Mantari on his home Urkham. Sard is again ready to take what is his and destroy the Tabun Shah. Chapter 82 After surviving three days of brutal storms that threatened to rip apart the wooden vessel, Loftus sat with Zuni on the water-soaked boards. He gazed at the occasional stars popping through the thin, swift-moving clouds. Jasmine and a few of his crew conferred up front and peered through a handheld brass telescope. Since they left the Nezkrans, Zuni had listened to Loftus's personal epic. As she stared across the dim sea waves, he studied her blonde hair rippling in the evening breeze. Have you ever been on the sea? She shook her head and leaned on the deck rail. Since I was a child, I have seen the harbor and I have watched the sun expand to an orange ball. Sometimes storms would sweep in, but I never thought I would be caught in one. Jasmere says maybe closer to the Ascran because of the storm. I did want you to come with me back at the docks, but I know that. Well, I suppose you do. You are a seer. Loftus, in your life, you were only trying to accomplish what you had to do. Loftus placed his forearms on the wooden rail. You didn't have to accept it. It was your choice, or so you thought. Tightened his brow as the ship gently rolled with the waves. I didn't allow myself to have a choice. You have done the right thing, she said, holding his wrist. I understood that too when I first saw you in the Enclave. Perhaps someday you will have peace, Loftus. Climb the mountains as you did in your youth and not have to worry. Sounds like an idyllic dream. She smiled, but an odd melancholy resided in her eyes. I believe that someday you will have peace. Loftus raised his brow and inhaled the salty air. To his right, Jasmere moved ahead of his crew, and his low voice rolled across the deck. Good news! Did you spot the Ascrans? I believe we will see the Ascrans on the horizon tomorrow. My thoughts about the storm winds have been confirmed by the stars. We are close. Loftus nodded and realized he needed to transform days of thinking about the Toten's Bunshaf into action. Then the storm is gone. Yes. Not good fortune upon entering the Seskran. But we have survived. You must be ready, Loftus. John should have completed his map of the fortress and the mead. He'd lived there for many years. Good. My vessel will remain docked and we will trade with what we have. But we will be ready for your return voyage. Your efforts are greatly appreciated. I will only follow what my heart has told me to do. As you must do. He puffed his bristly cheeks and continued down the deck. Loftus watched him for a moment. Let's go below, Zuni. I need to plan this well and execute it quickly. The oil lamp's light spread shadows across the study's tinder beams and plank floor. Another smaller oil lamp atop the slanted wall desk scattered a brighter light over John's map parchment. Even during the storm, he had added to the general layout of the mead. But his greatest accomplishment was a detailed map by floor and a rendering of the underground tunnel system. Loftus dragged his fingers along the darkened corridors. You should have considered map making as a trade, John. 
Heading to Tolton's protectorate got me into enough trouble. I will attempt to gain help through all contacts and the map will be irrelevant. The Tolton was my enemy, not the guards. Then the Tolton was threatened, said Loftus. And I went out as Overcore. Time passed slowly at the garrison. Years had gone that can never be recovered. I imagined every brick, every stone of his fortress. In your contacts, they will guide us, said Zuni. My contacts are those who were against my exile, if they are still alive. Yarosh was my friend. My mother, of course, but getting her requires a way around the protectorate. She might not know I'm even alive. What about DeLuca? asked Loftus. That is a possibility. DeLuca worked with the tribunal, and now you tell me he is a tribunal member with status and connections. Once we get to Mother, she can locate the outer part of the Boonshaf. She certainly won't do it if I ask, said Loftus, placing his hands on the map. Zuni squinted in the lamplight. Look at the thick corridors and the double walls. It's one big maze. Yes, to an outsider, but note the inner garden. An open area below the Tolton's private chambers. Doesn't look that readily accessible, but there are lower corridors, tunnels, to the outside that can get us to those gardens. That will require contacts. Yarash can do it. If it is the same, the upper balcony is maybe 30 feet above the gardens, and there are protectorate guards all over that chamber corridor. The trick is to climb the stairs without being noticed and enter the chambers when my mother is there. Diversion? asked Loftus. He missed Zack, the aroma from his cigars and his involvement in the operation. The diversion might work once, probably inside the chambers, but not out front. They would pull the guards and concentrate them inside. We'd be trapped. You would have first-hand knowledge of how that would work. Yarish will get us into the garden and have the means to get us up the stairs, said John. Perhaps a fire in the chamber room or an adjacent room. We can get one of Yarish's people or even have DeLuca coax someone into creating a disruption. Frank has been stuck in the system a long time. He'd jump at the opportunity to help. He survived in the system. I remember when he wanted to diminish what the Tolton was doing to his people while maintaining enough power to do it. Not an easy task to be able to put the whole picture in perspective and overlook the horrendous crimes, but finding DeLuca is risky and time-consuming. Loftus looked through the smeared glass into the vague ocean outlines. The stars above reached to a distant world. I fear there will be a Creod attack. I remember those attacks from my youth. The Bunshaf on Abisha is paramount. It holds this world in balance. Zuni had a mysterious presence in her candlelit blue eyes. You'll get the other half, there's no doubt in my mind. Jasmere's men proclaimed the news early. Shaded convolutions on the horizon were soon transformed into treetop hills and the outlines of numerous structures, including the fortress spires. Loftus gripped the wood rail and tried to envision the roundabout trail he had taken in the Camino through the desert. As he stared at the twisted blue spires, he thought about Kath. Zuni occasionally studied his face and seemed to know what he was thinking. His feelings were a mix of anger and intense nostalgic yearning toward a life he once knew on Earth. He wanted to face Kath and ask why she had not stopped his execution in the Kadir. 
Home sweet home. I haven't seen it in a long time. Loftus grinned. Home of the Tolton, the Tribunal, and the Kadia. I'll find Yarish when we dock, but I think we should wait until dusk to go to the fortress, providing I can locate my contacts. Including DeLuca? Yes. There is an alternate option of me just going to the Tolton myself. You can't risk your getting killed or being sent back to the morgue, said Loftus. Loftus again scanned the distant harbor boats, but as he gazed skyward, his heart beat swiftly as he thought of the Creods and their cluster ships. He resonated with a reassuring effect and made no attempt to deny the acceptance of his fate. Chapter 83 Within a glowing orange sky, steely blue clouds trailed over the silhouetted treetops and an ever-darkening ocean deepened behind the docks. Loftus paced the wood pier. John had left Jasmere's boat six hours ago and his rendezvous was overdue. I'm just afraid somebody got to him. I've noticed your close concern for John, said Zuni. We've known each other since Earth. He panned the numerous crowded roads leading up to the marketplace. Torches and lamps were already lighted back into the village. I just keep thinking he's in the grid, waiting to be loaded on another Camino, or worse. The Kadia, said Zuni. When you told me that story, I could not believe of the Tolton's brutality. But John will return. He is part of you. He is. The Tolton and his ways must be a shock for someone born in the Nezcrans. Our eskers keep worshippers out of the Nomer, but no organized killing of opponents. Loftus moved to the end of the pier and stopped on the hardened road. Where is he? The bearded Jasmere raised his heavy stein to his lips. Only his reassurance kept Loftus from, from earlier heading into the village. The mead is the mead, Loftus. It looks as it did before the Tolton gained power. That is how long it has been since I have sailed into this harbor. Loftus rubbed his chin and looked out the cabin window. Although the ships along the dock were visible, the rest of the mead was now hidden in darkness, dotted with torchlight. My father has told me that cargo was once freely exchanged with the mead. Until the tariffs and the restrictions, it became unprofitable. They worshipped Tabin Sharbak then. This is true more freely than in the epic now. I think Tabinshah worship was a competition to the Tolton. He consolidated his power and still does. He cannot follow his heart. Loftus caught sight of a shaded figure running down the central street. Close to the docks, he realized John was returning from the village. There he is! Yes, he has returned, said Zuni, moving over to the open window. John dodged a few of the villages and sprinted down the pier. Loftus raised his brows at Jasmine and started up the stairs. John was already bouncing up the plank when Loftus reached the deck. He stopped as John leaped aboard. Good news! What did you find out? John paused while he caught his breath. I found my old friend. Sorry, it was a distance from his house. It will help, said Zuni. Yes. No one knew I was over Cora the Morgue. My friend will help us as much as he can help us. He'll get us inside the fortress, but the Protectorate guards, even though he controls them, still report to the Tolton. So he has your former position, said Loftus. Yes, Yarash told me that he can get us through the tunnels and possibly up the garden walls. 
But once we're inside the chambers, we're on our own. Understandable, said Loftus. But does he know anything about the other Bunshaw? No. He never saw the Tolton wearing it or knew anything about it. I only know what I was told. Loftus turned as Jasmere emerged from below. We have good news, Jasmere. It would appear that we can enter the fortress. But we need to head into the mead now, said John. I will have the vessel ready for sale, said Jasmere. Loftus nodded and faced Zuni. This will not be easy. You must go back to the Nezcrans and free the Sumter if we don't come back. Her eyes moistened. That is not my fate. How do you know this? I know, Loftus, what I know. But I wish to accompany you now. Well, there could be fighting in the fortress, said John. I can't risk your life, said Loftus. Her smooth skin tightened at the brow. This was ordained from before our existence. All my life I have worshipped Taban Shah from the outside, and now I can become a part of something that unlocks the lost civilization. I will follow you. Loftus looked into her blue eyes and back at John. Okay, we're moving out. They waited for Yarish in the same long guampus barn where Loftus was loaded onto the Camino for the trip to the morgue. Through the stall windows, the open-air stadium column stood as an awesome reminder of the Tolton's treachery. Loftus tried to purge his thoughts of the Tolton and Cath, watching him and the villagers descend into the acid pits. He could not forget how later Cath allowed him to rot in the morgue. Yarish, a thin man with matted gray hair, moved up the ramp where Loftus had exited the cleansing pool. John, I have a clear path for you and your friends. This is Tom, the one I told you about. He squeezed Loftus's hand. Yes, the uh, Oryx Soames. You have a good memory, sir. I need to. The Tolton, as you know, will not stand challenges. You are well aware of the Cadia. I prefer the diluted version, he said, bringing a smile to Yarish's face. Nor do I wish to challenge the Tolton, only to find the outer Bunshaf. You will have ample opportunity once we are in the chamber, but I warn you of the risk. Loftus half grinned at Zuni. We are aware of the danger. Good. A contingent of my guards will meet us below, and we will travel by the tunnel inside the fortress. He motioned them down the ramp. The ever-present sulfur smell brought Loftus's thoughts back to the chute above the Kadir. At the lower pools, Yarish's red-uniformed guards stood at attention. Others carried torches. Laura, you will accompany us to the Tolton's chambers. Yes, Altacor. And the chamber will be accessible, asked Loftus. It will. The upper rafter shook as Loftus was about to speak. Bits of dust and debris floated to the floor. For a moment, he thought he heard a cluster ship's energy beam and his stomach cringed. What was that? Yarish's perplexed expression was not encouraging. I don't know. The attack, said Loftus. I fear it's begun. Three steady jolts sent more debris streaming across the room. Yarish shook his head. What attack? Three cluster ships. The Creod cluster ships. We may be too late. Well, that is a fantasy, said Yarish, laughing. His smile fell when the ground rumbled again. We have to hurry, said Loftus. Which way? 
Yarish pointed to the dark tunnel and trotted forward. More explosions shook the area, but the sound was muffled by the overhead stone. They followed the torches along a continuing incline until Yarish sent them up a wide wood staircase at the bottom of massive stone slabs. Another explosion obliterated the upper wall. They raced into a second corridor and dodged a collapsing overhead support beam and a smoky outside light now entered through a gaping hole. Yarish stood above them. How can these ancient words be true? The saber is true, said Loftus. Tolton may have retreated to his chambers with this attack. We need the other Bunshoff, said John. We can't turn back. Yarish said nothing and climbed over the rubble. Loftus saw the lush plants and trees through the opening. The sound of cascading water echoed as they neared an arboretum. He grabbed Yarish's arm. Where are the chambers? This is a private reserve within the fortress. The chambers are on the other side. As they crawled inside, Yarish found a well-trodden trail through the ferns. Amidst the sweetness of the fresh flowers, Loftus observed faint green flashes in the night sky through an open rim below the buttresses. The trail followed the water over the rocks toward a large pool ahead. Across the pool, wide fortress stones once again formed an outer wall leading to an upper smooth stone balcony. Light blazed in the upper hall. Certainly they don't leap over that wall every time they want to get in here, said Loftus. There is a stairway, said Yarish as they continued. He looked upward. That area was guarded, but I'm not so sure with these attacks. Once around the pool, Loftus rushed up an open staircase along the fortress wall. With no signs of the guards or any activity on the polished granny stairs, he waved the others forward. His eyes were fixed on the upper corridor where Kath had resided for the past twenty or more years. His heart beat rapidly, not from the attack or the impending confrontation with the protectorate guards. He leaped the wall and thought back to Kath riding her horse on the trail back in Appleton. Do not fear, Loftus. Loftus somehow trusted her words and moved with her and the sword-swaggering guards up the glossy stairs. The upper area opened to a lengthy, spacious hall with a center red carpet across earthy tiles. Tapestries woven with gold threads and bright colors hung along the high marble walls. He studied a series of plaster entrances on each side. Where is the chamber? Third one on the left, answered Yarish. This hasn't changed at all, said John, joining them, frozen in time. When he heard commotion at the end of the corridor, Yarish dragged everyone into a side alcove. A man with a low drawl approached with several people. He barked out orders and referred to the attack several times. Yarish whispered, The Tolton and three of my protectorate. An equal fight, said Loftus. No, said Yarish, shaking his head. First, let me try and get them out here. Do not be so eager to fight. Battles will come soon enough. Avoiding a fight can sometimes be counted as a victory, Loftus. You're right. Zuni nodded and Loftus assumed Yarish's position at the corner. Yarish and the three protectorates shot across the hall and into the chamber. Tolton's loud commanding voice shot across the corridor. I am the Tolton. Don't you fools understand? They won't rest until they have destroyed our race. I need to organize my guards, said Yarish. Organize for what? We cannot combat their weapons? Then we have to flee. Let me talk to my people outside. 
Do as you wish. Fleeing is exactly what I am going to do. Yarish marched back into the hall. He ordered his guards down the far end and nodded to Loftus. Loftus turned to John and Zuni. Stay here. This man has to answer to me. Understood, said John. Loftus inhaled and walked briskly across the corridor. He moved under the fluted plaster and into a suite of marble rooms as large as a hangar bay. Beyond the colored glass pedestal vases and wall hangings, a paunchy man with gray wispy hair and red and gold silk clothes stuffed his belongings into a huge wooden trunk in the next room. He was shorter than Loftus with a small frame and smooth face. So, you are the Tolton. The Tolton folded clothing in his hand and turned. And who are you? Out of my presence. Who are you? Someone you condemn to death. Then be glad you are alive, said the Tolton as he slid his hand over his protruding knife handle. I know who you are, and I know the secret you possess, said Loftus. Your knowledge means very little. We are under attack. Now leave my presence. Loftus shuffled into the room. I have come for your bunshaf. He set down the clothing and removed his hand from the knife handle. His eyes tightened as he stared at Loftus. There isn't a Mantari on this planet who knows of my Cruxel. Why would you want my Cruxel? You said it yourself, Tolton. The sounds of battle are upon us tonight. The final battle has begun just as it was prophesied in the Seba. I could have you killed for the words of an Oryx Solmes. He tried once, said Loftus, smiling and facing him directly. He wondered how many times Kath had looked into his dark eyes. He shook his head slowly upward. No, Taban Shah has caused me nothing but pain. I know the tenants on my Cruxel. How could they exist before Galga? I have seen my people die on Albashar, and here... Why would they let us all be destroyed? He grabbed Loftus' shoulders. Tell me that! There are other places, other realities, other than the reality that we know. Do not close your mind, Tolton. Be open to the possibility. Another distant bombardment was barely audible. Before it's too late, give me the Cruxel. You have not answered my question. Why? Why do you need the Cruxel? Loftus debated whether to tell him, and moved his lips several times before he spoke. It will fit into my own Bunshaf, now atop the Bunshaf on Albashah, and unlock the Lost Ones, the Tabunshah. Who are you? asked the Tolton again. He is Loftus. Loftus turned quickly. Kath, her white hair resting on her shoulders, stood in an inner doorway. The wrinkles were evident around her eyes and her sunken pink cheeks. Loftus stepped toward her. Her blue eyes displayed a venomous posture. You let me go to the morgue. And you are responsible for tearing up my life and the life of my son, and then you abandoned me at Bathurst. Abandoned? I was being chased for my life. Loftus, how can he be here? shouted the Tolton. But that wasn't the first time, was it? asked Kat. You left me before, too. Anything that happened to you in the morgue or anywhere else is what you deserved. You have become a bitter... Go ahead, say it. Old. Yes, I'm old. And I don't know why you're still young. There is no justice. No justice. 
Let me call back Yarish, shouted the Tolton, pulling out his knife. Don't be stupid, said Loftus, stepping back so he could see both of them. Then he directed his words at Kath. When I came back, all those service people were looking for Zack and me, and you made your choice. I told you to stay away, Kath, but you insisted. I didn't make you help me, Tolton shouted wildly. We are about to die, and he wants some superstitious Cruxel. That Cruxel, said John, moving in from the corridor. Zuni stood behind him and stared at Kath. We'll save this planet. John, cried Kath, raising her hands to her mouth. Oh, John, how can you be here? John pointed at the Tolton. Because he sent me to the morgue as Overcore. Kath embraced John. Loftus saw tears in her eyes as he again faced the Tolton. I need that Cruxel. Several protectorate guards rushed in and surrounded Loftus and the others, and the Tolton slowly smiled and held out his knife. The guards ripped away the knives from John and Loftus, but the Tolton kept grinning. So, you are the man who has escaped the claws of death so many times. That Cruxel is critical. I don't care. Your orders, Tolton, said the young guard. The Tolton smirk uncovered his yellow teeth. Your time is run out, Loftus, and so have your mythic legends of Tabun Shah. He is the Surrey of Khan, said John. Kath still clung to John and seemed taken aback by his words. The one predicted in the Sabah. Believe what you wish, but you are all going to die, stated the Tolton. Do not kill my son, said Kath. All of you. I am your wife, she told him. Bring them to the indoor Kadir. Do it quickly before I leave the city. You're more pathetic than I had imagined, said Loftus, stepping forward, but the guard blocked his way. What is left inside a man when he loses all his beliefs? What is left is a man with nothing to lose. Chapter 84 Sunrise produced a lingering gray haze from the night attacks, and the sharper rays cut through the upper openings of an enclosed wooden structure's sulfur-laden cold air. From the wooden scaffolding, Loftus looked down at Zuni and a single guard near the viewing benches. Bound at the wrists, he turned to the lower tank's brown acid, and Zuni called from below. Resonate. Resonate, Loftus. There's no need to fear with Tabun Shah. Maybe it isn't what they want, he said, scanning the upper rafters. He twisted the rope around his wrists, and the words echoed around the wooden structure. There must be a way out of this. And what happened to her? She's not the person you once knew, said Zuni. Loftus pressed his lips and swallowed. She lives in pain that she doesn't understand. I assumed responsibility once, but no more. Everyone must face their own actions and their decisions. And you, Loftus, should have been accepted for who you were and not for what she wanted you to be. Prepare for her fate. The lower doors opened and the guards dragged Kath inside. A few seconds later, the Tolton strutted through the doorway. He pointed up at Loftus. Ah, the Surrey of Khan awaits! 
Why don't you just kill us and get it over with? Whether you live or die depends on your old lost love. I don't want to die. Darko, please, please. The Tolton reached into a small leather pouch and pulled a clear bunshaft with its inner configurations matching the outer point of Loftus's bunshaft. I would guess this is something you want. I'm not the one who needs it. Tie the rope around my wife's hands. No! The guards cranked a side spool and a thin rope unwound to the platform. They looped it over her wrist and tied it tight enough to make her scream as the guard called down. It is ready, Tolton. Good. In a short time, my guards will be instructed to remove the platform from below her feet. The rope above will be threaded with acid. Now you have a simple choice, Loftus, and let us see what your resignation to Taban Shah tells you. Let her live, and you die. Let her die, and you get the Cruxel, and you can play your Taban Shah games. <laughs> I will not participate in this. Oh, yes, you will. You have too much at stake here. Cass slowly dangled above the pool, far below. Doc, they are your enemies. Tolton looked up at her and then at Loftus. My enemies are in the sky. Bring Loftus above the Kadia. The guards pulled Zuni back and lowered another rope. Loftus grit his teeth as they wound the itchy rope around his wrists and tightened the knot. They moved back and he braced himself as the floor slid away. His feet now twisted 50 feet above the pool, and the guards liberally saturated the upper rope with acid. You risk everything, shouted Loftus as they brought Zuni below. Is she worth saving? Isn't that the real question you've lived with all these years? You must know the word of Taban Shah. Oh, such indignity. Let us complicate the problem. Bring out the overcore. John was pushed through the side door and forced to his knees in front of the Tolton. The Tolton said something to Zuni and she also fell to her knees. A large man with inflated bronze arms moved out of the doorway. He carried a thick-handled wide blade that reflected in the light. They have done nothing. No one ever said life was fair. <laughs> now they will die pending your decision. Another rope thread split above him. He closed his eyes and resonated to Tab and Shah. Kath cried as she hung above the death pit. With his eyes closed, Loftus heard creaking on the outer stairs and the sound of arrows whooshing through the air. When he opened his eyes, the executioner and the guards were dead on the ground near the Tolton. Another guard collapsed behind Loftus and fell into the acid pool. The Tolton dropped the crooks along the bench and darted out the side door. You need some help, Captain? Loftus smiled, his eyes opened wide, and he looked up at Zack's dark, burly mustache. His old friend raised his bushy brows as John and Zuni moved up the scaffold stairs. I don't believe it. I thought you were dead. Alive and well, Captain. He hooked Loftus's rope with a long pole. Help me, Tommy. Hold on, Kath. Loftus reached out. His feet hit the platform first, and Zack grabbed his hand. DeLuca told me about the morgue. I heard through the protectorate that you were back. I missed you, old buddy, he said, patting Zack's shoulder, but he raced to the next platform. 
Zack handed the pole to Loftus and he hooked it around the rope, but another few strands broke when he exerted pressure. Kath was jolted and swayed over the pit. Hold on, Kath. Hold on. The mead was attacked by the airships. Just enough to scare everybody, said Zack. Not full scale. More strands snapped, putting all the weight on just a few threads. He gripped the rope, but it snapped, and Kath's white hair spread out like a useless parachute in the air. Loftus looked into her eyes as she careened toward the acid. Her solid expression was fixed in time as she splashed onto the surface and was gone. Loftus turned away quickly and held on to Zack. Mother! Mother! cried John. Loftus held on to his son now and stared at the diminishing murky green and silver ripples for several minutes. His eyes were moist when he slowly looked up. Soon he lowered the Tolton's cruxel around his neck. Loftus gripped the cruxel as he ran from the fortress. The dark sky flashed green from the energy blast hitting the outer mead and smoke trails slithered skyward. He jaunted through the deserted streets, still overwhelmed about Kath's death. Again, he assumed a creeping responsibility for a direct link between the woods of Appleton and her falling into the Tolton's Cadia. A silver cluster ship trekked only a few thousand feet over the inner city. A new bombardment began, with numerous high-pitched, brilliant, linear energy bolts flailing the fortress itself. Stones and mortar were thrown upward across the street. He grabbed Zumi's hand and ran. The upper spires of the fortress slowly caved in, leaving stalagmite remains when the smoke cleared. The whining energy shook the ground and the cluster ship, indistinct in the haze, sped away. Loftus believed Tabun Shah would somehow bring him through the attack. John, still dazed, directed them down a narrow alley, cresting over a hill toward the shore. A huge crowd huddled under the torches on the docks. Although he did not see Jasmere, the green and white sails were prominent in the firelight cast over the hundreds of smaller white sails. He guided Zuni through the crowd to the wooden pier. Jasmere waved them forward from the dock. For a few minutes, Loftus was held back by the crowd, but managed to break through to the plank. Jasmere looked down the rail. You have the Cruxel! I do. Loftus held the Cruxel upward and helped Zuni up the plank. Jasmere scanned the skies. Our time grows short! Loftus looked back at the crumbled fortress spires as the mead burned. Crew scattered to get underway, and he allowed his mind to go back to simpler times, when he was young and in Appleton. Kath never asked for what happened to her, Zack. Zack swallowed and deeply furrowed his brow. Neither did you, Captain. Neither did you. Chapter 85 Sard activated the shooters and slammed three more buildings in the Mantari village. The first Wascom Tark had brought through the passageway opening did not have the ability to quickly destroy a world, but as Sard saw the inferiors race toward the shore because of his attack, his upper lip vibrated. Soon Tark's superior abilities would slowly allow the rest of the Amperage onto this Urkham. Sard was convinced this was the last Mantari Urkham, and he would locate Tabun Shah. Maybe a sustained attack would lure them from hiding. From the city, he veered over the ocean and swept back to the plains. He pushed his fram. Awis, my attack has been generous to these inferiors. Once the Aragasta is through the Frusian, 
The Zircon will be subject to your will, Vargadimnus. I am, however, having problems getting the larger vessels through. The duality functions need to be expanded. While we have marched out salvets onto the plains, we must produce a larger opening for the amperage. You will solve that problem, Awas. And Sard will lure the Talbanshar out to save the last vestige of their inferior empire. Sard rose over the cliffs outside the city and brought the Wascom directly over the flatland, extending to the horizon. You will tell your Rupacons, whoever solves this problem will be increased to the rank of Proaska. I will tell them. If we do not bring the vessels through the passageway, the fight for the Zirka will be on the ground. Sard is prepared and will lay waste to the inferiors. Sard pushed the shield over his matrixes as he emerged from his wascom. The constant movement of equipment and selvets under the planes continued down the ramp from the reflective frucian opening. Even the selvets emerging into the Azos light dropped in homage as Sard approached the ramp. He spotted Mia near the first Ankitas and flipped his matrix shields. Mia! Tark tells Sard he has made no progress creating the larger openings in the Frucian. You may rise. Newer and larger tunnels are critical to allow the amperage to pass to the Zircom. Mia checked the Nankitas set up along the Ankita. I am also concerned that we have no Pequor readings on this Zircom to indicate a Tabanshah presence. Sard will not tolerate such findings. The Tabanshah must be on the Zircom. I do not fully understand why they would not be fighting now, Vargardennis. No one understands that, Mia. Sard demands that plans be completed for a systematic ground in Wascom Assault. Those plans are being formulated according to your specifications, Vargardennis. He motioned Sard over to the larger Nakedim shielded from the Azos light. A map of the Mantari cities showed another settlement across the vast ocean. This entire Urkum is primitive. Inferiors. Sard will fight them directly in order to drive them from existence. Roik appeared in the corner of the screen. Vargardemnus! Vargardemnus, may I have a word with you? You may speak to Sard. I have discovered a hint of disruptions outside this Urkum's orbit. Tabucha! I cannot be sure of its origins. Similar frequencies are in the Aragostas Battle Chronicle. Sard leaned forward. Sard remembers a Pequor field, distorting time and space after Galga. Battle chronicles indicate the Aragoster passed through this area. Sard banged the console. Impossible! The Aragoster was never in this area. Sard has never seen the Circum. This is a Frucian distortion, Margaret At full intensity, it may have hidden the Urkum. Right. Sard is telling you that Galga was across the Humea. We have seen what they can do with the Frucian on the passageway. What are you saying, Roik? asked Sard. They may have moved themselves and the Urkum through space, and possibly through time. But we do not have any space-worthy Azakars to verify- The treachery of Tabanshah. Sard's fangs were now fully protruded. You will find the source of these readings, if this is indeed the Tabanshah. Elkin peered from under the Yankita flapped. Khan rising. What makes you think you will stop the Surrey of Khan before the final battle begins? Saad rubbed his lip along his fangs. Then let him rise. Rise to be put to death by Sard. 
What can one leader do against the combined amperage of the realm? Perhaps it is only a myth. Cowards! Sarge smashed the side Nakedims, creating a smoke trail through the flap openings. Why do they hide while their people die on Altashar and on Albashar? Why do they let the inferiors reside in reality chambers on Mantari Earth? They may not be of this time, Barganemus. At the earliest possible moment, Sarn will send Pizikars into the area and find the truth. He turned to Mir and Elkin. Sard wishes this Urkum destroyed. We do not yet have that capacity, Barganemus. If the first vessel is not brought through, Sard will begin torture and executions when the Azos rises. They answered in unison. It will be done, Barganemus. Chapter 86 Jasmir insisted the boat would arrive in the epic harbor by morning, maybe sooner with the warm winds. As Loftus and Zuni sat on the upper deck, thoughts of Kath were ellipsed by three days of cluster ship vapor trails across the skies, and the distant flashes reminded him how eventually the great Kriod power could crush this planet. Zuni's light hair furrowed in the wind as the ship dipped over the white-capped crest. I worry about the Eskis cooperating in Korain's ceremony. You are destined to reach Abishar again, Loftus. And you have such great confidence at such a young age. You can see things others cannot. She smiled and glanced over the ocean. I trust in Taban Shah, and I know what I know. I suppose you do. Your strong beliefs have inspired me. Will I touch the mind of Taban Shah? What will I see? You will accomplish your task to stop the interventions. She pressed her lips and continued, looking at the ocean. His eyes moistened, and I dare say I won't see old Earth again. All the years of human history and achievement destroyed by one Creod doesn't seem right. Another choice. What the people did to the people of Mantari Earth was also mutual. While I do not fully understand the advancements, people were not in the streets protesting when the chambers were given to them. They allowed themselves to be taken in. You are the most reasonable person I've met in a long time. The Saber says, the outcome of the final battle is uncertain, but I don't believe that. I believe the Hordes will be defeated. To his left, Zack bounded up the deck stairs. He yawned as he stepped out on the deck. Oh, I'm sorry, Captain. Loftus stepped toward his friend. Can't sleep? Come on over. You and I really haven't had a chance to talk about what happened to you. He raised his thick brows as Zuni wandered over. I was just lucky no one saw me materialize. You were in the wrong place at the wrong time, Captain. He has a habit of that, said Zuni, smiling. Loftus returned the smile. It's the old Loftus luck. Zack nodded several times before he spoke. The old Loftus luck. It's either really good or really bad. Nothing in between. I fully understand, said Zuni. Your luck, Loftus, is more than luck. And your old friend has been brought back by your side. Don't you see all this? I think so. Just like the old days, the pressure and the risk. I've had too much of that in my lifetime, and counting on the luck to get me through. I want to disappear back where the mountains reach to the sky, and the fields are filled with crops, and the river winds slowly through the valley. We're a long way from there, Captain. Maybe. Work a good day's work. Go out on Sundays in the horse and buggy. 
horse is a wampus, correct? asked Uni. Similar, said Loftus. He looked over the ocean again. There was a time when some places were reached only after a full day's ride on a horse or maybe an old steam locomotive. Idyllic, said Zack. He turned as the sky flashed green in the distant night. Loftus nodded and stared toward Epic. He was not sure what would await him there, or if he would reach Abishar again. Near sunset, Epic's smaller buildings in the Noma Dome were stuck in the orange haze. Jasmere pointed to the men rowing a smaller wood vessel toward his ship. One man in a gray robe sat center of the little boat. He is a Tandra. Yes, he must know, said Loftus. The boat bobbed in the long rolling wave as it approached. One of Jasmere's crew tossed a rope line overboard. Loftus followed Jasmere to the rail. He recognized Garold from the Noma. From afar he comes. The battles he has seen and the triumphs won and lost. He wears the key to the past and now receive him. Do not bring him scorn. We need to reach Abishar again, said Loftus. The Eskas want to help you. Although Epic has been spared, word of the other attacks has spread throughout the city. They now recognize who you are and have been waiting for the boat. Then you can't help me, he asked as Zuni moved ahead of John and Zack. Do you have the Cruxel? asked Garrow. Loftus lifted it from under his shirt. He glanced into Zuni's eyes and held it up. I need to place this around my bunshaw atop Abashah. We will inform the Eskers and the people. They will pay homage to you as the Suri of Khan. I desire no homage. I only wish to be brought to Abishar. What will happen will happen. Geralt sat in the boat and signaled to the oarsmen. They threw back the lines and gripped the oars. As the boat slowly rolled from Jasmere's vessel, Geralt called back. The Mantari people await your arrival. Mantari people, seek the awaited one. On the boat to the Mead, Zuni tells Loftus that someday he will have peace. He eventually confronts the Tolton for the Cruxel, or the Boonshaft, and Kath berates Loftus for abandoning her at Bathurst and Appleton. The Tolton then sends Loftus and Kath to be killed. Loftus, according to the Tolton, will live if he lets Kath die on an acid-eating rope, or, and he will get the Cruxel. Zuni and John are brought out to be beheaded but arches appear with Zack, but it's too late. Kath has perished. As Sard's attack begins, Zack, John, and Loftus attempt to flee the Mead. We'll see where that leads next time as the conclusion of Sojourn by Robert P. Fitton begins here on Fitton on the Air. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com and here's a real nifty factoid you can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com just type in robert p fitten thank you and good night